Welcome to Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth, the podcast of Plymouth United Church of Christ. I am Pastor David, and on behalf of the members of this congregation, thank you very much for joining us. May God bless you through these words, and may you know God's love through them. Now, the podcast. Our gospel lesson comes out of the Gospel of Luke, which we have been reading from and will continue to read from, uh, just working our way through the gospel, and we have this uh, encounter here that Jesus has with a religious scholar. This translation says lawyer, but think more scholar of religious law, not uh, civil law, not uh, a lawyer as we think of lawyers today. So hear now and listen for how God is speaking to you through these words of Luke's gospel. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. Why did Jesus, the Buddha, and Muhammad cross the road? Not the beginning of a joke this time. They crossed the road because they had compassion. They had compassion. They all spoke of compassion. They were not afraid to go over to the other side of the road and meet the stranger, to meet the other. They were not afraid to cross the road and greet, meet those that they were culturally or religiously conditioned to fear or mistrust or hate or not want anything to do with. Whether it may be, say, in Jesus' time, for the Jewish people, the Samaritans uh, were certainly the bad people. For many, the Romans were the bad people. Didn't want anything to do with Rome that was occupying their country. But today, maybe it's the Muslims 
or sometimes even women, Palestinians, homosexuals or transgendered people, the homeless, or this battle between the conservatives and liberals, or the, the pro-choice uh, and the pro-life, or the battle between what well, one side calls the gun nuts and the other side calls the gun haters. The list goes on. These people, maybe you'd rather not meet. They cross the road because of compassion. To meet those people because of uh, compassion. Uh, and uh, this translation that we read from uh, said that the Samaritan was moved with pity, uh, but you could also say compassion or a number of other words here. That's an interesting word. Compassion, especially the word that's used in the Greek here uh, about the Samaritan. And I'll talk more about that later on. But first, I want to uh, spend some time tearing down Jesus' adversary, this religious scholar, this scholar of the, of the law. Uh, and as I mentioned, he's an expert in, the, in the, the law, the religious law. This would be the Jewish law. Uh, this lawyer would have been a, a Jewish scholar. Uh, and as we know, Judaism has the law, the Torah, Exodus, the law given to Moses uh, up on the mountain, the book of Leviticus. So uh, this person was an expert in, in religious law, not necessarily the civil law, though he may have also known that. But he, he comes to Jesus to test Jesus, to test Jesus' religious thinking. He wants to make sure he's that Jesus is thinking in the right way. And so he comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And at one level, that's kind of a dumb question. Because he says, what must I do to inherit? And inheritance is up to the giver, not to the recipient. There's nothing a recipient can do, maybe, to, uh, to ensure an inheritance unless the, the giver of that particular inheritance is a, a, a horrible person that would demand that the recipient become their kind of circus performance monkey. Do these things, and then you can have uh, an inheritance. Uh, and so to say, what must I do to inherit, has this answer, well, nothing. Nothing you can do to inherit. It's up to the giver. Nothing that you do or don't do will affect that, especially when God is the giver. Because God doesn't make us jump through hoops or uh, do certain things to receive. We just have it. God gives it. That's God's nature. And, and his question here about eternal life, eternal life, not so much, he's not really asking about heaven, per se, as we often think of heaven as the place uh, that we go when we die. That's not a, a Jewish concept, particularly, and it's not even a concept uh, in Jesus' time. That's more something that comes out of uh, medieval fantasy and morality plays uh, uh, and some other places. Not that there isn't an eternal life or a life after death, but that's not what the gentleman's asking about here. He's asking, asking about eternal life, eternal life meaning proper life, a life that's worthy of eternity a life that's worth living, a life that is aligned with God's life, a life of intimacy with God, a godly life, a faithful life. That's uh, what he's asking about. It's a life in the here and now and a life in this world. 
in this world. Because this is what God is going to redeem. This is God's creation. This world. Eternal life is life in God's time, in God's way, in God's space. And this end point of God's vision is the redemption of creation. It's not just something elsewhere or an afterlife redemption. It's a redemption in the here and now of this world. This earthly, material world of matter and flesh and and blood, and not just this world as in the planet, but all of creation, the entire universe. God is working toward the redemption of it, not the destruction of it, or to replace it with this, uh, what we sometimes think of when we think of heaven. Uh, So he's, uh, he's not asking about eternal life in that way. What does it mean to be faithful? What is eternal life, God life? How do I live this vision of the perfection of everything? And how do I create that now? And Jesus likes to turn things on their heads. Jesus uh, likes to turn things upside down, and he's going to do so in his response to the man and in the parable, but he also gets topsy-turvy. Jesus many times goes topsy-turvy because it's very rare in the Gospels that he actually answers any question posed to him. I don't know, it's like 95% of the time or more, he just responds with another question. Well, you tell me. What do you think? And so uh, Jesus does that here. This religious scholar says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you're the expert. You tell me. Clearly you've studied this. You probably already have a an answer, I'm not going to fall into your trap. You tell me first what you think. And so the scholar uh, takes that bait and he answers with some lines that come out of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, which would have been for him and Jesus just scripture. Uh, There was no Old or New Testament there at the time. It was just scripture. Love God with all your mind and with all your heart and with all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. That's in there a couple times in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, you're right. That's the answer. Do that and live. Notice the man had asked about eternal life. Jesus just says, do that and you will live. In the here and now. The present time life. Not some future date of life after death, but live right now as God wants. But the scholar is not particularly satisfied with this, and he wants to justify himself, uh, as the word says. He wants to justify himself. Uh, uh, the message translation, sometimes we read our psalms out of the message. That's a more, much more contemporary language uh, version. Uh, the message translates it here as he looks for a loophole. He knows there's got to be a loophole in the law about how we uh, define neighbor. Uh, and the Greek word here is a word that, that means to be made innocent or vindicated or set free, a sense of, of release uh, from guilt. And it's a word that shows up a few times in the gospel, and especially uh, Luke uses it uh, in a neat way. In, the, in Matthew and Mark, when Jesus is on the cross, the centurion, there's that centurion, that Roman soldier, the agent of Rome, that looks up at Jesus and says, clearly this 
was the Son of God. But in Luke's gospel, the centurion says, surely this man was innocent. And he uses the same word uh, that Luke uses here about the lawyer wanting to justify himself, wants to make himself innocent. I imagine he felt kind of guilty and convicted by the answer that he gave. Maybe he realizes he hasn't loved perhaps as fully as he ought. So if he can narrow the definition of neighbor, then maybe he's okay. So he says, well, that's all fine and good, Jesus, but you haven't defined neighbor for me. And so Jesus tells this parable. All right. You want to know what a neighbor is? Here you go. And he tells the parable. A man is on the road and he's beaten up and his robbers leave him to die. And he's out in the middle of nowhere. And a priest walks by, and the priest doesn't cross the road. The priest denies the victim. And in contemporary terms, maybe we can think of uh, the priest as perhaps a righteous, holy kind of person, the type that uh, always brings bags to the grocery store to reuse them and drives a Prius, helps at the shelter, rescues dogs, does all sorts of good things, but passes by. And then a Levite does the same thing. The Levite walks by on the other side and denies the victim. And for uh, today's world, maybe we could think of the Levite as someone who donates to NPR and is a vegetarian and goes to the library, helps a community cleanup days, keeps their lawn mowed, uh, teaches a hunter safety class, all things that we might think of as good and righteous things. He passes by. And then a Samaritan comes by. Samaritan. OMG, these are the worst kind of people in the world. The Samaritan crosses the road and helps. Now in today's world, think of the Samaritan as whoever your enemy is. Or whatever group of people you don't particularly uh, care for or a group of people that you, you don't think has anything redeeming about them who have nothing to offer you. Think of that person or that group of people. Take a moment and think about that. Who would be your Samaritan of today? Who are the people that really just yank your chain? Or that give you the heebie-jeebies to think about? Or the person or people that if you were dying and you needed a blood transfusion and the only person available to help you out was this person, that you would think, at least for a moment, maybe death is better than accepting the blood of this person that I just love or don't trust. Think of that person. Now that's the person that has compassion and helps you on the side of the road. That person stops to help. Fixes you up a little bit, carries you to an inn, spends the night with you, continuing to try to to fix you and heal your wounds, and then leaves money behind to cover your cost, 
of recuperation, and then promises to the person there that whatever you spend, I will cover it. I will come back and I will repay you everything that you have spent. Now, how do you feel about that person or that group of people? You owe them your life, in a sense. In a literal sense. You owe them your life. Does that make you angry? Or does it fill you with gratitude? Does it change the way that you see that person or those people? If so, then that's eternal love. That's living in eternal life. That's a very different question. Often when we read this, we say, would you be the Samaritan? Would you be willing to stop and help? And that also is very important, to be, uh, to be that person. But it's easy to help, because that's a position of power. There's not necessarily any vulnerability involved in stopping to help people, but accepting help. That can be difficult. But in that command to love your neighbor as yourself, I think is an equal command to allow your neighbor to love you. Even the neighbors you don't like, or don't care for. And the Samaritan here really offers an awful lot of help. This conditionless help that the Samaritan, your your hated or despised person, provided. Samaritan here gives gave this man no test of worthiness. He didn't ask the beaten man uh, how he got into that predicament to judge whether or not he deserved to be helped out. If it was his own fault, then maybe we ought to just leave him there. He didn't ask if the man was going to live a life worthy of... Uh, in a way that the Samaritan wants him to live, if he can bring him back to life. Samaritan doesn't tell him, uh, your Samaritan doesn't tell you how you have to change to receive help. It just helps. Your Samaritan helped you in the way that you needed help with no thought of what it would cost him or her. Just provided the help that you needed. And that's the kind of help ministry that doesn't come from a position of power, but from compassion and vulnerability. Be willing to ask what you need, not what do I want to give. What do you need? And and the word here, uh, compassion or pity, is translated here. I said it would talk about. uh, And... In the the Greek, the word here that's used for the Samaritan is a very old word. It goes well back into uh, Greek history. And and it's, oh, there's just a lot of consonants in it. It's splachnizomai. Theoretically, it's that. It's hard to pronounce, but that's what it is in in Greek, the splachnizomai. Uh, And it's a very old word that goes back into the time of sacrifices, and that was the word that was used for the innards that were taken out in a sacrifice. The heart and the lungs and the liver and whatever else. The innards, the guts that were removed in a 
sacrifice. And so a heart in Greek normally would be cardia, think cardiology. But if that heart was taken out for sacrifice, then it was a splachna, or whatever the proper Greek word is for that. Uh, it has a separate word once it's a sacrifice, once it's been sacrificed for something. And then over the years, that word began to be used in relation to our more impulsive emotions like anger and fear, and then eventually, and coming up into the time of Jesus, it got to be used in relation to feelings like mercy and compassion. That you know, think taking out the heart then becomes another term for mercy and compassion. And the Samaritan is said to have that. That. That splotchinizomai. And what's interesting is that in the Gospels, there are a lot of times that there's talk of compassion, mercy, pity, or whatever. And there are a couple other Greek words that are used, more, more normal Greek words that are used for that. But this particular word shows up 12 times in the three synoptic gospels, and it's always used in relation to Jesus, and only used in relation to Jesus. Either to describe Jesus, or Jesus uses it in a parable to describe the main character of the parable. And so in the Gospel of Luke, it's used once for Jesus, and Jesus uses it in two parables. He uses it to describe the father of the prodigal son, and he uses it here to describe the Samaritan. And then when the, when the lawyer answers the, the question about which one here was the neighbor, he says, the one who showed mercy. And notice he says the one. He can't even get himself to say the Samaritan. But the word that he uses for mercy here is the normal word. He can't even uh, get himself to use the special word for compassion. And so the com- compassion, this, this nizomai. Compassion is a very sacrificial kind of love because it comes out of, that word comes out of sacrifice. Uh, We might say his heart went out to him. And historically, that would be a very literal interpretation of that word, to give your heart, to truly give your heart. And in Jesus' topsy-turvy world, where we're called to identify with the victim and the outsider, the other, and her enemy. We don't pull out the victim's heart to make them the sacrifice. We pull out our own heart in sacrificial love for their benefit. This radical, heart-ripping out, self-sacrificial, don't worry about the cost, give up your life for others, especially those who have nothing to offer you, compassion. That's eternal life. Amen. And that is the good news for this day and for all days. Thank you again for listening to the Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth podcast. If you are in the Eau Claire area, we especially invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And I invite you also to check out our website at pcucc.com for upcoming events and special worship services. From Plymouth United Church of Christ, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, this is Pastor David. Thank you for spending this time with us. May God bless you.